Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. I think a lot of people running things have a crazy addiction to setting things up. And it's just absolutely awful, me included, at at celebrating and like I never look backwards at all I'm just I'm gonna die and not remember anything I'm afraid hello and welcome back to another episode of balancing acts in this conversation I talk to the founder of hoopla impro Steve Rowe hi this is Steve Wiley comedian actor filmmaker and writer all-round ADHD creative and welcome to my new podcast Balancing Acts, where I talk to an array of creatives ranging from comedians, actors, directors, all sorts. And we talk about how they find a sense of balance or not between their creative lives and their everyday lives and how that has an impact on their mental health and beyond. Balancing Acts is made in association with the comedy crowd who support independent comedy creators. They showcase the best new videos on ComedyCrowdTV.com and across media platforms. They support independent comedy creators and showcase the best new videos, including adult animation, sketch shows, web series, viral hits, and lots more. So if you're a creator, then do check them out. In 2006, Steve Rowe and Edgar Fernando founded Hoopla. At first, it was a few mates mucking about at the back of a pub on stage, and from there, it grew and grew and grew. Hoopla has now founded the UK's first improv theatre, and runs a whole host of improv classes and courses on top of improv-based corporate training. I met Steve way back in the day. I'd been doing some improv uh, sort of drama workshops, and then I stumbled across Hoopla, and I was like, yes, this is what I've been looking for. It was very sort of comedic. There was It was lots of fun. There was a, a social dynamic to it, and it opened up a whole world to me. I've been meaning to sit down and talk with Steve for a while. So it's great that we found the time to chat and talk about the whole journey Steve has been on with uh, Hoopla from those early days to the successful company it is now. Steve talks about how he found Hoopla and eventually walked out of his full-time job in TV to commit to growing it as a company. 
He explains why not to fall into the trap of being the impoverished artist. We discuss why temping jobs can be a meditative process. Steve explains the pros and cons of growing a company organically over not taking investment. The struggle of transitioning from being a performer to having to take a step back to run the business. And why you should be okay to sacrifice projects and ideas so you can focus on doing one thing really well. Steve also breaks down his circle method decision-making process, which uh, we spin off into our, our own startup idea which uh, eventually makes us millions and millions uh, but unfortunately I then order a hitman on Steve because uh, I decided I want to have the business for myself but that more on that later in, in the episode. Steve talks about the importance of focusing on the audience and what's fun rather than worrying about the competition, how and why Hoopla opened their improv venue, what to do when you get to the end of your five-year plan Steve talks about why he took a management course with Open University and what the key takeaways he learned from that were. He explains how he got better at delegating. He breaks down the five whys you need to ask yourself before you launch something new. Steve also describes the healthy state that the UK improv scene was in pre-COVID and how it's on track to compete with the US and also describes some of the issues uh, in the US improv scene. We talk about the Alexander technique, why he did uh, a course in hypnotherapy during COVID, what his annual birthday ritual is, why he loves going on solo walks, and loads more. There is just untold amount of nuggets in this conversation. So uh, this is super useful if you are someone that is running a creative business, or if you are thinking about running a creative business, then this is the episode for you. If you have a interest in improv or if you are thinking about um, learning improv or getting involved in performing in improv shows, then this is also for you. So lots to soak in on this one. I watched that uh, that documentary on North Korea. I don't know if anyone saw that on BBC iPlayer, The Mole, who goes undercover. It's, you know, it's a very fascinating watch, but it just makes me think, yeah, what am I doing with my life? You know, my life is utterly boring. Uh, in comparison to that, I, I, I want to be a mole. So if anybody, if anybody out there needs a mole, I'm up for it. I don't, I don't know what for. I want some excitement in my life. That's what I felt that that guy who who was the mole. I don't. Want, I'm not going to. It's no spoilers, etc. But I felt that part of the reason why he wanted to do it because he was just bored at home. It's why people do a lot of things, don't they? Just bored. So yeah, I want to switch things up a little bit. Talking of which, I I've signed up to this. Uh, amazing platform called lunch club where they uh set you up with people with similar interests and then you have these conversations on video and just brainstorm ideas and it's been it's been a lot of fun i haven't really gone on there for a specific reason just because i'm bored in it and just asking people if they need a mole so far no one's been forthcoming okay without further ado over to steve Rowe. perfect steve Rowe in the fucking building via zoom <laughs> hello steve hello how are you that's not just me saying hello to myself shall we steve wow shall we uh pitch a new idea for a podcast series called two steves and a mic <laughs> it sounds a bit filthy but i like it <laughs> <laughs> two two steves yeah. and mike yes two steves and mike yeah uh, i'm up for that right um <laughs> how are you uh, I'm good, thanks. Um, I'm not one to brag, but I just got back from the gym just in time for this podcast. Ah, oh, fantastic. People, I'm not usually a gym goer, um, but I've just started the last two months. Um, so now I'm um, <laughs> one of those people that is new to the gym and is utterly convinced that their whole body has changed. It just could have been like five times, um, but that's how I feel. Did, 
did you go to the gym prior to uh, lockdown shenanigans? Um, no, I, used to, I, I used to be more into running and swimming, but um, but then since I um, I was gonna I was gonna mention this on the podcast, but I, it's popped up. Um, but I, I actually had COVID back in March. Um, oh shit! It's not a hoax, folks. I always felt like shit for months, and so for some reason, I, my I knew that is now gone. Um, but um, so I'm having to find a new to get back into it. So I still can't run very much. Um, but I found like things like rowing machines and like weights and stuff. So I'm kind of like I'm I'm totally healthy, so I've recovered. But I I, I did have a couple of months of um, of being like really quite rubbish. Not hospital, but like extreme fatigue and like aerobic fitness has, has gone. Um, but it is getting better bit by bit. So um, this is my kind of path to recovery. <laughs> so were you bedridden? Yeah, for like for a good week or so I was. And then, but then also, uh, as you might have heard, how much people get. I, mean, I had a, a good couple of months where, um, you know, I could get up and do like maybe three hours work a day or something a day but then the rest of the time i'd just be asleep i was just sleeping like an unbelievable amount although i think actually it was also because um i've been going pretty full-on with hoopla for years before march so i think it was partly i mean it was covid but then also i think i was long overdue a bit of a, like a, a wipeout and um right. i think when I ran anything for the first time in years i think my, my body just gave up over april and may so, but now I'm kind of on, on the up again. Well, that's good to hear. Thanks. There's a, I don't know if you can hear, there's a bloody building works going on next door. They always no, seem to resume. Oh. I'm going to ask them if, they're, if they can stop drilling, just to be no, on the no, safe no. side. If, if, you, if I don't no, come no. back, it's because they've killed me. I'm going to be one sec. One sec. So... While Steve's gone, everyone, he's still recording. So I'm going to tell you what's in his room in Zoom. So he's in his bedroom. Um, it's quite tidy, actually. Uh, he's got a double bed. Um, so he's either with someone or he's optimistic um, or just wants some space. I'm uh, not one to judge. Uh, next to his bed, there's a pot plant that's doing well. So we know that he can look after things um, It's because it's green and it's grown way taller than it should because it's uh, now touching the slope ceiling. Um, so it looks like that's been with him for some time. Um, there's some coloured lighting balls on the bed headstead, the sort of thing you might pick up on a day trip to Brighton in the lanes, I'd imagine. Um, and above those, there's some art. There's two men without faces, and one of them looks a bit like um, the guy who wrote Seinfeld and wrote Curb Your Enthusiasm, his name I can't remember, but they don't have faces. And it's quite interesting. It looks like a kind of mentor talking to a younger man. Hi, Steve. Ah. I'm alive and uh, it went all right. It went all right. I was very sort of like timid. And uh, excuse me. And, um, we're just recording a, a podcast about creativity next door. Um, <laughs> no, you said if, that. Uh, if you wouldn't, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, they've stopped. Fantastic. I would have never have done that. So big respect to you for doing that. I've done it a few times. I think they really fucked off with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've done, this is like the fourth or fifth time I've done it. Okay, so back, uh, back to where we were. So, in a way, or it's a long time coming, you having this physical breakdown of sorts because you have yeah. been slogging it out running Hoopla for. Well, you launched it. Launched it. You launched it. You you launched Hoopla. Well, you you, you established it very casually with friends in two thousand six. Is that right? Yeah. 
yeah, that's well researched and remembered. Uh, yeah, early days, my friend. You were one of the first, you and Josh were one of the first people along. So yeah, it started as a kind of, um, you know, just doing it for fun. In, well, I still do it for fun, but um, just doing it for fun in spare time around work with friends yeah. one, coming along to a free, what was it, first free drop-in workshop at the Bedford in Ballam, which is quite a big uh, comedy pub in South London. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, you know, like the main aim for it at the time we didn't have any big plan uh was just you know works can be boring and stressful sometimes it can be exciting but you've got to have a place in life i think um where you can go and be yourself and fuck around um be a dickhead <laughs> yeah uh, specialize have a drink and just do all the human stuff that you can't do um at work in your normal nine to five or nine to seven or yeah. whatever people do these days and also the kind of birth of it was, um, I grew up in London like yourself and um, went to uni. And when I came back, uh, I met all these people who were new to London. And to them, London was a scary place. But I, was, I used to bump into school friends on the Northern Line like all the time. So um, I got together with my old GCSE drama group. That was like the first Hoopla group. And um, we were like, well, let's just do... The last time life was super fun, which uh, in London, which was for us GCSE drama days, because that was just like such a good laugh, just devising plays and improvising and then going to the pub afterwards. It's basically our life through the whole of GCSEs. So we were like, let's start that up. And then, um, you know, as you go on in London, you just meet other people. The more and more people would come along. You just meet kind of similar minded folk. And, and uh, before you know it, you're having a, a good time once a week. So, yeah, we're just sort of... Um, went from there and um and it was it, it wasn't at the start of it it wasn't meant to be it wasn't going to be my job um but then about five years into that i was like actually i do really like this and i think um there's an opportunity to really you know double down and make the most of it so that's when we went and turned it into a professional thing it was amazing like it's been amazing watching that journey from afar from like you said those early days where we just do these workshops at, uh, at the Bedford to yeah. then putting on the first live show because up yeah. till then there wasn't any live shows and then that was like a whole big you know adventure and then to, to see you sort of grow up from them because I remember at that time you were working in TV yeah and you you dip in and out right you'd go and do some you go and do a, a TV production job you working for was it the Discovery Channel yeah uh, yeah I was working for um history channel okay working for production companies that make stuff for um the history channel at the right. time okay and then and then different i used to work in say some science tv some food tv yeah uh, yeah this was like a pivotal moment for me where um this is the sort of thing i really say on your podcast what i'm about to say so i i walked out of a tv job but i mean in quite a kind of overly amdram dramatic way where um I got this like this really presumed good good job where it was working with Richard Hammond on this sort of um, engineering show and it was a good show as yeah. well. They're in connections and it was combining like loads of my interests like science but done in a kind of fun, engaging way. Um, really lovely company called Darlow Smithson. They're really good. Um, if you're listening, any of you out there, I'm really sorry <laughs> how shit I was there. And then. Um, and it was really well paid and I was like 
I was like, fuck, this is, and you know, I'd kind of done the hard work there. And I was kind of like, right, this actually is a career uh, that I could do. Uh, but then as I was in it and loads, I was doing some other TV jobs that, that year, I just sort of saw Hoopla dying because obviously the two things just don't go together. Like you can't really be working on a shoot that's going on for, um, you know, 20 hours a day or working on these huge things that build up to something and then also be dashing off at five to go and teach a drama club in Ballam. Yeah, and there was like a pivotal moment <laughs> where I was like, fuck, I'm, I'm fucking up uh, our first Edinburgh show, um, which I was really looking forward to. Anyway, and then there's this younger guy there um, who was really clever and he was really fucking good and he was tons better at the job than me. And his contract was only three weeks, um, whereas mine was like long term. Anyway, one day I just sort of uh, walked out of the office even though it was middle of work, I just left, I just emailed the production manager saying, sorry, I can't do this anymore. Um, and then I went and sat on Hampstead Heath like a complete, complete dramatic fool. Um, and um, I just sat on Hampstead Heath and I was like, what the fuck, am I, why am I doing this? I feel like I'm going mad. And I sat on a bench. Um, I can't remember, is it Parliament Hill, the one that overlooks London? Yeah. Remember. Yeah, you know, that's more your area, I don't know. And I could just see like London in the distance. And at the time I was thinking like, is it possible to, um, you know, make a living from Hoopla, which I really love. And then from that viewpoint, you see like loads of London and it just hit me. I was like, there's fucking millions of people in London. Well, obviously this is pre-lockdown. So that was true then. Now I'm like, well, I don't know if that's true anymore. But I was like, I was like, there's millions of people there. And like nobody, like the improv scene at the time was getting a bit obsessed. There was like this minor, minor competitive, competition between improv companies and I was like if you walked around London and went up to people and said do you know what improv is I reckon most people would still even now say no or kind of get kind of their weird view of it and if you said do you know it's a thing you can do for fun in your spare time I still think most people wouldn't know and so it just hit me I was like there's there's like endless opportunity I think as a kind of person going into creative industries as a job I think that's the kind of mindset that people have to shift into it's away from the kind of um, impoverished artist um, archetype which you get you know forced into by wherever and and back into the kind of like actually opening your eyes into like how much unlimited opportunity there is um, all the time everywhere if you're willing to do the hard work Anyway, so then uh, I did go back the next day and she printed the email and left it on my desk. And I think it emailed it around everyone else, which I thought was like, clearly I was having some mental problems at the time. I thought that was kind of, I was like before, you know, I mean, it was a bit weird to do that. So everyone went quiet when I walked in and then I was summoned to a meeting and they're like, what's going on? And I just said, I need to leave. They're like, when? I was like, now, I just need to do something else. And I said, but I've got a plan. I'll, I'll work out three weeks and then Tristan will take over for me. He's tons better than me. And they brought him in. And they're like, do you want a job long term? He's just like, yeah, it was like his dream. Um, and they're like, oh, actually, this works out fine. So then he got a, I hope he's doing well on TV. He's awesome. And, um, and then that was when I kind of like almost snipped the mother's apron strings and was like, right, now I've got to do this. Because um, I kind of like, you know, burnt a few... Uh, bridges <laughs> um, no. and then I did um I no did way temping. back yeah and then I just went into temping for like a couple of years so that I could just you know have enough to survive but be able to leave at four 
So that I could went just, for it. Yeah. And I used to kind of like, you know, the feeling I was just in a job, I was at St. George's Hospital and I did, I was doing the work, but it was kind of just moving files around. So I, I just had a lot of space to think about stuff. Yeah. So that was helpful. Yeah, I went through that phase as well, the temping phase. In a way, like I found it quite fun because um, like a lot of people there working at that place at the same time were sort of trying to do something else as well, you know, trying to head a side hustle. Or they were trying to get into creative industries, etc. And during yeah. that period, it wasn't like, I don't know about you, but like I wasn't using loads of brain power. You know, I was just doing <laughs> yeah. databases. I was just fucking around all day. So it was actually quite a fun time. Yeah, it can be a med. If you get the right job, it can be like almost a meditation. Yeah, uh, I think as long as you kind of preserve the dream, I think I found that hard. There was one time when I was temping, and uh, I mean, it's nothing wrong with temping, um, but you know, I got into it for one reason, and um, there was this database query that I had to run on a computer, and you click go, and then it freezed up the computer. And two hours later, the result came back and emailed it off to people. And I had to do that every morning. So I said to the manager, like, what do you want me to do while that's running? And they were like, what do you mean? I said, well, I can do something else because I can't really, I can't use my computer. And they're like, um, I don't know what you mean. I said, oh, do I just stay here? They're like, oh, yeah, that's your computer. And I was like, but I can't use it for two hours every morning. They're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> So two hours every morning, the first thing I do, I get in, I click this button on this Microsoft um, Access database. And I used to look, because you had to look like you were doing something, um, even though I was asking if I could do anything, but there wasn't anything else to do. And I'd look over the monitor outside and I'd look at this tree and I just used to look at the leaves on the tree for like two hours and just like daydream and think about what I was going to do with Hoopla, um, etc. And at the time I was like, I haven't even done anything about this, but I was writing in my head, um, South London, the musical. Anyway, so that's another story. And then I was doing this for months. And then one day, um, a leaf fell off and I realised it was the last leaf. And I just suddenly woke up and I was like, fuck, I've just seen all the seasons just watching this tree every morning. I've gone from like, <laughs> I've gone from like full tree to the last leaf falling off. Um, and then I realised actually I'd been using the temp job is kind of an excuse to not re to not really fully commit to Hitler. I realised right, that. Right. Oh, if I, if I didn't have this, I'd be able to set it up. And, I was, and you get to a point, it's just like, I'm just making fucking excuses. You know, it's yeah. like, I finished work at four. If I wasn't drinking the night before, I'd have loads of energy. You know, if I was, if I was going to the gym, I'd have more energy and time. If I stopped watching TV, you know, like if I'm home by five, and like five hours a day, every week, every day for a week. You, that's like a whole other job that you can do. So I just had to start treating it as like, I've got two full-time jobs. And then once I started doing that, then it started to um, come together. So cool. Once you grew to a certain place, uh, to a certain point, did you get investment or did you just grow it all organically? No, never had investment. I think, I think it would have been wise to have done so. But, but then again, I think if I had, I would have just splash that money away and fucked it up so right, we, yeah you did it all did in a shoestring yes yeah, so what we did is we just sort of gradually expanded so we never had any, we've never had any investment um the only loan i've ever had is the um the government kind of coronavirus uh, bounce back loan 
Oh yeah. Um, you know, just in case. But no, we didn't do loans either. Yeah, so just kind of like just we we were kind of just gradually expanding year on year, which I mean has its own benefits. So the benefit is like you're not in debt, there's no risk, financial risk. Um and you're learning as you go. So every time yeah. you do something, you've got like years of experience behind you rather than risking it. The disadvantage from a sort of business point of view is like you're possibly missing a lot of opportunities. And you I can't think, expand quickly. Yeah, you can't. You're not expanding quickly enough to match the opportunity, which means that um, you kind of leave it wide open for someone, for other people to do that. Yeah. Um, and if you're happy with that, which I am, then that's fine. But if you're not, then you have to do something about it. I think, funny enough, I think now, I think when, especially when lockdown and COVID's over um, and things are back to normal, I think now would be more the time that we'd be wise to get investment because I think I'm older, um, we know what we're doing and we've got like an experienced kind of administration and management team. Um, so it would, we'd kind of like know how to spend investment money wisely um, and we'd know how to like have this very specific projects that we could do whereas i think before we're just sort of i don't know i don't think we would have been very wise with it <laughs> yeah. i know i've been yeah i can relate to that i was i sort of like took the same approach with uh, my production company yeah just just freaked me out the idea of trying to get investment just all that responsibility and answering to somebody <laughs> it's the reason That's, why i yeah. set up in the first place so i didn't have to yeah i completely... have the freedom I think the people who set things up, uh, you know, yeah, you set it up because you don't want to work for someone. <laughs> you like the freedom of it. I think it's why it's the main thing, isn't it? That sometimes the people who set up companies aren't the best ones to run them. Yeah. Longer. Was there a time where it was challenging transitioning from being like Steve, the improviser, yeah. to now like Steve, the business head honcho? <laughs> yeah, I, I battled. Eel, motherfuckers. I don't, I've kind of, I've kind of like um, made atonement with myself about that now, but yeah, I definitely battled with that a while. I think like anybody, you know, cause when you embark on creative things, there's all manner of directions you could go in. To, yeah. Uh, I think much like yourself, cause I mean, um, me and you were doing that Logan Murray um, stand up course together back in the day. Which yeah. was really fun. I think back then I was very much like, yeah, I'm a performer first. I also happen to teach and like, that's it. Um, yeah. And, when we started to bring in other teachers and there's a responsibility that goes with that i did go through a bit of a battle of being like i'm just going to bring in one or two because i'm a performer first who happens to do all this yeah, yeah and then i think i think the turning point like a lot of guys is like when me and my wife were having a baby like the year building up to that i was a bit like okay i need to just make that decision now so yeah now i'm the person that runs hitler first and uh, and teacher who performs for fun um and i think that's the difference so now when i perform actually in a way it's kind of like more liberating because yeah so i thought i'd imagine that. i'm not planning i'm not planning to be like the next lee evans so when i when i um when i perform it's just like oh i'm it's just it, it just feels like meeting up with friends and, and having a good laugh and having some drinks afterwards but yeah i mean i think that is like i think i don't know i don't know if i want to <laughs> i don't know if i <laughs> say that i'm able to give out success tips but i think i do think that's a missing pillar of success that people miss sometimes which is sacrifice because you think you've got like you know obviously commitment perseverance i don't know what the other ones are 
I'm every year I'm trying to do 10 things and I'm, and I'm finishing half finishing all of them, which means yeah. none of them. Yeah. And to think you've got to just be like, right, let's just let these things go for a bit and just do them for fun. And let's just put all our energy into this thing. And I find with Hoopla, the more we did that, um, the better it got and the more successful it got. I read it in some business books sometimes, which sometimes a CEO's job is to decide what you're not going to do and then spend a whole year making sure you don't do it. <laughs> right. Okay. That's an interesting <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's really, because there's just so many, and I think in, in business, sometimes there's so many, like so many people say to us all the time, like, have you ever thought about this? I'm like, yeah, of course. It's a really obvious idea. Like, have you ever thought about running kids clubs everywhere? I'm like, yeah, yeah. of course I've thought about that. It's really obvious, but I don't have resources to do that. And so I don't, I can't do a bad job of that. Like you just, I don't want to fuck that up. Yeah. So it's not doing it now um, or ever. And we're just focusing on adults. So there you go. You just have to decide what you're not going to do and then not to hang up on the kind of vision when, you, when you're down with one thing, not be like, oh, if only, if I had pursued my stand-up yeah. now, I'd be at the O2. And, uh, Grass is always greener. That's like, it's a classic thing, isn't it, with people who are creative that you get excited by loads of different ideas and there's so many different routes you can go down, especially when you're starting out. Yeah. It's difficult to commit to that, to that one thing. I mean, now it's like slightly different. You can be it's very common to be maybe like an actor or writer, director, and you can do all yeah. these different things, but I think it's also good to focus on one thing, do that really well. And then, then maybe branch out to something else. Can I show you my circle thing that I do? Yeah. So when I, cause I think, um, cause I agree, you do have to do lots of different things now. So um, I don't, hopefully isn't just one thing, but um, so what I do when I try to make those decisions, like I just get, um, I write down like on a piece of paper, like every possible thing that I feel like I kind of want to do right now. And this is stuff I always do this in like a peaceful place. So don't never do it when stressed. Always do it like when I'm away from something, like sit in a park, no phone. So on that, I just have like a little word for each thing that I want to, that we could do as a hoopla or me personally. And then I just sort of go around and circle each one, but I'm just really like impulsive and just like the bigger the circle, um, the more I want to do it. It's more like an emotional choice. So then you end up with that. It look like you've drawn tits. <laughs> well, there's maybe that as well. <laughs> the, the subconscious comes in. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, then I get a permanent marker. And just sometimes they connect together these little circles funny enough and then i'm like right okay next six months um i'm just going to put efforts into this stuff and it just stops you kind of like having that kind of bullshit of like oh oh if i wasn't doing this i could be doing this it's like well just decide that so you can clear your mind so you can actually focus a little bit so that you know i don't want to be writing a screenplay late at night but but thinking like oh god if i wasn't doing this i, sh I would be you know doing stand up in norway or whatever so i think <laughs> I, I just think, want to be in norway <laughs> i want to be in norway um every couple of months like yeah i do stuff like that just to decide um that's great to... advice I haven't, i've never done that i have to give that a go because also i figure like if you don't do that then i think being because when you're running your own thing 
like you are creating your own job for the future so if you don't do that you're just going to create a shit job for yourself five years from now <laughs> so if you're not like yeah. viewing if you're not checking in with yourself and be like do i actually want to do this then you're kind of just making a bad um job description for yourself um, I, I don't know about you but sometimes when i'm in at a restaurant i find it very difficult deciding what to choose to eat you know if it's a really great menu do you think this yeah. This um, method is applicable to that. So could I go into the restaurant, write, write them all down, put circles around them, and then yeah. go through that for an hour, hopefully don't get booted out of the restaurant, and then tell the waiter or waitress what I want? I think go for it. I think, I think there's a whole bit, I think there's a whole restaurant opportunity there to give you <laughs> it's a niche. menus that you circle how much you want something, and then they, cre- they create it based on your um, circle a uh, bit of pi r squared on the scene. Like Mate, this is where we're going to make our millions. Yeah, that'd be the name of the restaurant, pi r squared. And then, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's it. Let's make that. Let's, let's do that. We shouldn't be on this podcast. We should do that right now. Yeah, what are we doing? Ah, we're wasting our time. Have you got a name for that, by the way? What? That, that process. Have you got a name for it? Uh, no. Oh, pi r squared. We could name it now. You want? Yeah. Pi r squared. I don't know, just call it circles. I don't know. Circles. Circles, circles is very circles. accurate. Very yeah. accurate description. Yeah, we, we should do a circles for our idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on. Yeah. I mean, we could do it for the next half an hour. Probably won't make for the best listen, but we'll have a good time. We'll have a booming business at the end. Oh, gosh. It's going to make us million. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> it makes so much. So what is it, what is it that you guys do? Yeah, it's, um, guys, it's Interactive Menus. Um, that's the name of the company. The company interactive Menus, yeah. IR squared, Interactive Menus. Um, basically, we rather than put dishes on the menu, we just put ingredients, and you draw a circle around each one. Uh, the bigger the circle, more ingredients you have in your dish, and we balance that uh, with our chef. Yeah. And yeah. put some wasabi on the side, and it's sorted. And uh, if you're vegan or gluten-free, then it's either a triangle or a square. You have to pay a little bit more extra for for that but um we cater for everybody we're mm. inclusive we are <laughs> right well, i think we got that sorted yeah. uh, when you you touched upon this before being the og of of improv schools in london um you look confused when i said that i don't know what og means that, yeah that no it. i know that's why I th- yeah i thought i'd oh, just thank you for that um, very original gangster uh being the original- <laughs> <laughs> being the OG of, um, of, of the improv world, was it challenging at all when these new improv schools appeared on the scene and then yeah. sort of like, you know, you've gone from being the, the guys and now there's a few of you around? Uh, yeah, it was challenging. It's very personally challenging. And I think that's something you just have to like, uh, you go through some like personal development with that. And right. Not, you're alone, not alone with that. That's any creative field and any business in any market so we live in like this hyper capitalist country with the run by a government that's very much about free market and whether you love it or hate it like that's what we're in yeah one you can't live in a cloud cuckoo land where you think you can just run something forever and like no one else is going to do the same thing once the second you, but start you had a good run <laughs> you had a- from it yeah, he just doesn't. Doesn't want to be like, oh, oh no, there's another improv place in my city of eight million people. <laughs> <laughs> so one is like, throw the fuck up and like throw some balls and like, or or breasts. Um, both helpful. It's no gender divide about yeah. 
but I mean, basically, that's the main point. But mm-hmm. then, so, you still do have emotional challenges. So first thing to know is like, I mean, we weren't the original. Like we were a new improv company once. So when we started uh, in London, there was spontaneity shop um, was there. Um, Sprout Ideas, yeah. uh, Crunchy Frog Collective, okay. uh, players. So when we started, we we were also like the the new improv company. Oh, okay, yeah. And then since then, we've seen other new improv companies pop up, and some have gone, and some popped up and stayed. And I think it depends. There's two different ways to look at it, really. Uh, it's funny you should ask me now because I'm kind of like over the emotional de- development. Of it. I'm good, kind of good. More kind of hindsight. Um, but if you asked me two years ago, I would have been a right old mess. Right. If you look at it from a business point of view, and so I was studying an MBA part-time just before lockdown started, but I paused it while lockdown's on because I don't really want to do a Zoom university. But if you look at it purely from a business point of view, a marketing point of view, it's so straightforward and it's just like such an, a normal thing that happens in any market that yeah. you know, literally people who don't know anything about improv, they just look at like websites of all the four major improv companies in London. Yeah. And oh that one's got that thing that one's got that thing that one's not sure yet that one needs marketing advice and that's yeah. pretty much what they thought straight away so you just have to like from a business point of view they're like of course someone else is going to be there that's stupid and, you, and that's just marketing you just need to grow up and get on with it and just make like stronger marketing choices about like who are you for what's your improv company all about why is it different where is it and then also just the awareness that <laughs> London, I mean, we're not even in the rest of the UK yet, but London's massive. Like London's got, well, pre-lockdown, seven or eight million people there, plus another extra 10 million commuting into work there. Yeah. So to kind of like get distracted by the fact that there's other improv companies is kind of ridiculous because you're like, the challenge isn't other improv companies. The challenge is people don't know what improv is even this long into our company existing. Mm. And the other thing about London is like there's, is they're that big population that it it's changes all the time because people finish uni and move there and older people move away from there so even if you fuck up your marketing for a year there's an entirely new audience along like two years from now so that's the kind of that's the kind of cold business steve point of view of it which yeah. is, like i've got literally written on my wall behind me it's hidden by my kids drawings it says it just says focus on the audience that's written about four times on my wall really big and like whenever we depart from that that's when Vipla fucks up whenever we're like oh what's so-and-so doing we should do that or they're doing this we should do that or what are you going to do about this they're doing that it's just like no (laughs) that's stupid yeah we've got thousands of people that know about us and are connected to us and you just have to focus on your audience and focus on what do you want to do what's fun for you because we're not making it's not like an oil mining industry (laughs) focus on what's fun for you do that focus on what's fun for the audience what do they want and yeah. that's um and then their friends come along it's like it's not really a complicated business to be in um anyway so that's cold and hard business steve but the more emotional side of it yeah it's difficult because yes maybe i don't know if i'd want to live in a kind of more collective society where there's one improv company and then you're like hey let's all pull our resources together and make improv a big thing i don't mm. know if that works and then also there's a thing I'm, I, I quite like, um, uh, what I found helpful for me, funny enough, was um, Carl Jung, the psychologist, and he talks about archetypes. And um, there's an archetype of the shadow. And I think that's why competition in the creative industry can be difficult. Because for me, it's like if you're running a company 
you make certain decisions of what you're going to do but then the opposite of that is there becomes a shadow of what you're not doing so if you're like we're more about improv for fun people doing it in their spare time the shadow of that is like hey your improv's unprofessional what about all ample what about professionals wanting to be on tv and blah 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 so when you get presented by that a company kind of like kind of taking a different market position it also weirdly triggers you off because they're kind of doing um the shadow side of you that you're not doing right and you can trigger yourself into being like, oh my God, I, I thought of that five years ago. So you just have to remind yourself, like, actually, we're making choices here. A generic improv company probably wouldn't work, like, trying to please everyone, I don't think it's a very good business decision. So, like, uh, you just have to make a kind of strong choice of, like, here's what we're doing. And kind of let uh, um, everyone do what they're doing. And then, and then it becomes much easier, I think. And then also it becomes an artistic decision. It's like, you know, if there's a style, because improv splits into different styles, which from people outside the improv scene probably seems ridiculous, but it, it does, much like any art form. So then you just have to make a strong choice of like, are we doing all these styles? Or are we doing this? Or what, you know, what are we doing? And again, but then that decision yet again comes down to like, checking in with yourself. What do you actually want to do? Um, what do your audience enjoy? So to cut a long story short, um, <laughs> yes, it has personal emotional challenges, but that's life. And um, they're largely overcome by just as long as you focus on the joy of why you got into it in the first place, really. That's it. That's, that's, a, that's a great answer. Perfect. Hello, sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation, which I'm enjoying, I'm sure, just as much as you are. But I need to give you guys a little reminder. Uh, if you like this conversation, this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do subscribe to us, rate and review us because it makes the world of difference. And the more reviews we get, the more rates we get, the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral, whatever that means. Okay, back to the chat. Was it an a exciting moment when you opened your sort of like own improv venue? Uh, yes, it was. And it was quite a gradual moment. So it's like it gets exciting because going back to one of our points where we, don't, we never got investment or anything. So everything's been very gradual. Yeah, because I remember the Miller, as it was previously called the Miller. Yeah, um, Miller, yeah. yeah, you were just putting on shows there infrequently. Yeah. And yeah. I remember doing shows there. I don't remember how many years ago it was. But then yeah. now, obviously, it's, it's like the hoopla venue, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So that was, that was again just like a, a very gradual thing. So at first we were there. And we've been in, we've been to, we've been in some other cub, pubs around London before, um, just doing one Tuesday a week in different groups and performers, uh, much like a lot of stand-up comedy nights start, you know, just running a, a once a week thing. Well, once a month first, then once a week. Yeah. Which big jump by the way and um that yeah then we moved to the miller and we're just there once a week and it's just sort of year on year other promoters of different stuff uh used to be more of a music venue but other promoters would sort of stop and then we were doing well um you know just build up good relationships there and then they just be like do you want to do another night okay yes next year do you want to do another night yes next year do you want another night yes and then eventually we didn't have the weekends, so I knew that would be a big thing because it's obviously a lot easier to get a big audience at the weekends and I yeah. kind of like the kind of party atmosphere of it. So I emailed the manager um, a little showreel of UTV in New York at their real peak as well. 
and some pictures of like their shows looking packed um, and being really good and just the sort of vibrancy of like how what a big party the atmosphere that was and I was like do you want me to do this upstairs every Friday and Saturday and that's the only thing I put in the email and then he said um, I'll come in for a meeting so I came in and he's like what is this place and I was like oh this is what improv's like and I said I think in London it's getting a bit of a rep as being was always had a bit of a reputation for being you know kind of not too popular small audiences I said I think it could be really mainstream and I think we could do that here if we just sort of jazzed up the venue a bit so that was that really so that was like when we jumped to being full-time so he just sort of said go for it and yeah it's pretty cool I, I'm not sure I think it was I mean simultaneously it was kind of weird because the music industry there like a lot of music venues I don't know why but was dying off so like they used to get bands there all the time but there seems to be less and less bands were asking to perform there and when they did they just weren't bringing any audience in at all and the venue was just like we just can't support this but at the same time um stand-up and improv was bringing in a lot of people so I don't know why the uh, I don't know if that's a across London thing but the audience seems to change quite a lot it's almost like you improvise obviously there's loads of planning that's gone into it but like through these various stages, you kind of improvised as you've gone along in terms of building yeah. where you're at now. Did you have like a grand vision at the beginning of like, okay, this is where I want it to go. And like, are you heading in that direction? It's a good question. So, um, so a weird thing happened to us because we're old enough, which is, you know, you hear about having a five year plan. So we actually got to the end of a five year plan. And like the weird thing is when you get to the end of one, you realize that you, you're like, well, what do I do now? So we had a, a year or so where I kind of got to the end of the five-year plan and also my personal plan of what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then you realise when you got to the end of it, it means you now have no plan, which is like even worse than having, uh, I don't know, sorry, I'm babbling on. If you're three years into a five-year plan, you don't have a five-year plan, you have a two-year plan. Right, that, yeah. Right, so we did make, I don't know if it's an error as such, but yeah, we definitely, a couple of years ago, I was like, shit, I, I'm struggling now because... I'm no longer kind of moving forwards and I'm someone that I like moving forwards. I like having things to work towards, but I was like, we've done everything we set out to do, which is awesome. But I'm now kind of repositioned as like, just trying to manage this crazy, <laughs> this crazy fucking place. I feel like Kermit the Frog because, um, you know, we've expanded like super quick. Um, it's chaos because it's improv, like the shows, the classes, it's really fun. It's really vibrant. It's exactly what I wanted kind of have to readjust um, almost your personality as the leader a little bit to be like, right, um, uh, oh shit, I'm just, I'm just keeping this going now. Well, I didn't think it would, <laughs> to tell you the truth, I didn't think it would work in the first place. So when you get there, you're like, you're like fucking hell, I didn't think this would work. And you look back at these like schemes drawn in the back of a envelope from years ago. Cool, I've got this stuff. Back, previous Steve would be super proud of myself. You allow yourself to be proud of yourself. When you hit no. milestones, you don't. You no. just kind of like on to the next thing. Yeah, I'm just terrible. That's my my wife is like, just yeah. I, I should be. I should be a lot easier on myself. I know because you can talk about. Oh, you said at the start of the podcast, I can take a mental health tangent, can't I? Yeah, I, I'm terrible. I don't don't please don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm terrible. I've got nothing to pass on about that really. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people running things have a crazy addiction to setting things up. And it's just absolutely awful, me included, at, at, at celebrating. And like, I never look backwards at all. I'm just, I'm going to die and not remember anything, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm going to be like... It's all right, you've got the next life. On my deathbed, I'll be, I'll be planning a for the next year. And I'll be getting... <laughs> yeah, I just don't know. I don't really look backwards at all. And um, 
I look, I, I do, I'm quite good at present moments. So I'm quite happy in the present moment. Um, I'm quite good at being positive about the future all the times, but. You like embody, you like embody the yes and. Yeah, no, no, we've done <laughs> yeah. that yes and. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm always looking for the and. But when I hit that point where we'd reached the end of the five year plan, uh, so at first I struggled with it because I was like, uh, I did go through a stage of like, do I want to be doing this anymore? Do I want to shift into a completely different career? Because I felt like I had this energy that I want that is best spent on setting things up. Right. Yeah. And um, and I had some ideas, but then obviously because we had a a, a baby planned, uh, I was like, oh, if I was twenty five, I probably would jump ship right now and just be like, put a bow on it and be like, that was great. I'm doing something new. But instead, I had to kind of like rechannel myself a little bit. So I went through a stage of kind of accepting that I was managing a company that was bigger than my experience, and that I should do that. I should do something about that so I went through a stage of doing like a um, open university uh, management course um, and then I did a how uh, long was that for um, so I just did a module that's about eight months okay. it's really for I mean I really recommend it for like people who are in the creative industries if you just want to you know just for the sake of like an hour a day on your laptop I got loads loads from that oh, fantastic which university did you do that at? Um, so did the uh, the management module was with open university online yeah Um, and then i was and i started to do an mba part-time um at sussex near brighton where i live um but that's because of uh when lockdown came in and so those things for me have been a bit like it's almost like um we built a house and then now i've learned how we should have built it and i'm going to going back and being like right let's tie this bit up right this is safe Um, because a lot of people say you get your real sort of learning and, and training done if you want to be kind of a entrepreneur through you know establishing and running a company but i guess yeah. there are certain right and wrong ways of, of doing things yeah i think um yeah i agree i think training's changed a lot i think people are a lot of people running companies now are a big fan me, definitely me included of getting the training that you need um, exactly as you need it so right like i preferred the open university to the full MBA because I was a bit like I don't really want to be spending my time writing an essay about some company that's not mine for weeks on end it's quite academic yeah where's the open university one or you can do stuff like the independent theatre commission have got training or you can do like I think tailor-made training for leaders is the best right then I was like I want to learn marketing and then OU, they were like, your company is the company that you're going to write your report on. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Because I get to do, you like kind of working on it as you go. And uh, I think that's what people look for now. It's, it's just kind of like the right training at the right time in the yeah. right place. Tailor-made for them. Do, have you found um, delegation hard over the years as, <laughs> as, the, as it's grown? Yeah. So it used to be my weak spot. But now, no, I don't. I'm good at it now. Um, what do you think changed? just time i'm afraid yeah so at first i was terrible at it i had i had someone i had people paid to that i brought in to help temporarily and i just couldn't let myself give them work to do you want to control everything yeah or i just give them stuff that just didn't matter so it's just like at the end of the year i was looking at my accounts it's like i've paid so much money on something that just wasn't effective what i found helpful now it, I mean, I've got, I mean, I'm very lucky because I've got the two main people I've got, well, we've got lots of people who work for us in different ways, but in terms of the core 
administration team is um, Jesse managing our courses and Angela managing our shows and they're so good now that it's just such a healthy relationship like that's that's enabled us to grow like once you get it like once you get a core team like that for me I think what helped the most was to not just think like what's the repeatable thing that I'm always doing at the moment and kind of like first train people up in that because that frees up suddenly loads of time if you're like I'm always doing this four hours a week be that like answering emails or setting up events or something and the beauty of it is once you've trained up people in that and then you see them a couple of months later and they're doing what you used to do, but they're doing it tons better because they come up with a better system. So I think it's about delegating, but also I think the other important part of delegating is, and I got this from the OU course, is, um, is to always put in the why. So if people have got the overall picture of like why you're doing stuff, mm. just like, can you clear this inbox? It's kind of like, well, that's boring. But if you're like, we're building a theatre, we're coming back from COVID, we're going to relaunch in such and such. Um, people need to build up trust with us. So we need to be on top of emails and turn them around within 12 hours. Then that's the kind of bigger why. So having people part of that, I think is really important. I think the other thing I got from all the courses was when you get bigger, that it's not just your vision anymore, because otherwise it's like people might not like that vision and they won't on it. so you've got to kind of give up a bit of your ego and just be like this is beyond me so we're going to find the vision together so you know rather than just say here's the plan for next year you say what do you guys want to do next year what would be fun and it's quite fun because usually we've all got the same ideas anyway so um you know we're like what's the when we can run big crazy events again what would you like to do and everyone was like we want to run a big international improv festival hire out a theater for a couple of weeks and get people coming along from all over the world and have a massive party as well so yeah people have involved involved from the start in a way you don't have to delegate delegate as much because they're just they just start you know they'll just know what to do anyway yeah yeah but i definitely agree with you though it's, it's one of those i was really bad at it like, like for like two years really awful like uh real achilles heel <laughs> yeah well it's great that you turn a corner with it so in terms of our why for circles we yeah. we're disrupting the menu industry you know it's been stale for a long time it's some it's <laughs> yeah. time a new there's a new kid on the menu block and, and that's that's our why well yeah but then I, I agree and then you've got to look for the deeper why so there's a technique called you have to ask why five times so you, and you so, just look in the mirror you go why 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 you go why why do you want to do this blah, blah, blah. why do you want to do that oh blah, yeah blah, blah. okay and it's a kind of like the really core why is the thing where that kind of can drive a team, set a vision, and also help your marketing. Because if you're all in sync with the core why. So for me, with the menu thing, I think it's, <laughs> I think for me, a big why would be to enable people to have more interest in the ingredients in their food and, and the effects of those ingredients on their body. So like... Genius. If you're feeling tired every day at two o'clock, rather than thinking that's normal, maybe really think about like, what did you put in your mouth um, before two o'clock? Uh, and then you probably find that you, you're having something quite bready, maybe some sugar at about one o'clock and your body's just having a reaction to it. So I'm kind of yeah. regretting us now talking about this on the podcast because someone else is going to listen to this and just take <laughs> our idea. But it's fine because we, we're not holding on to our egos. There's no. 8 million people in London. Yeah. There's room for everyone. There's room for more circles led menu businesses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. I reckon there's at least room for five. Yeah, no more. <laughs> five is the max. Otherwise, we're going to move on to the next thing.
yeah otherwise yeah you fall off the front page of google yeah you do the google things do you do a lot of that then the um i'm, yeah, I'm assuming you must do the online marketing so that sound yeah, like, I sound like the online marketing do you do a lot of that are you I on yell.com <laughs> but steve i'm afraid that's the only thing i'm not going to tell you much in detail of because it's so yeah, dark arts isn't it dark art it is dark art so what i'm yeah. going to say like just if you're setting up a business learn it because yeah because it's where everyone finds you these days yeah i want to tell you loads <laughs> sorry you can tell me after I'm surprised people don't learn it though. Just like buy a book on it. Just learn it. Just learn it. Yeah. I think like if I, if I speak from experience, like I just, a wall comes up with that side of things with marketing in general, just, I have a bit of a, a, an allergic, a bit of an allergy to it and I need to get over it. Yeah. And also I don't, I guess it's different. Like if you're, it depends on what the purpose is for. If you've got a business, you've got someone else doing that for you. I was going to say like, I don't want to, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I just don't want to kind of get in, to that hole of like having to check my phone all the time to see all the stats yeah. on social media and everything, you know? I think that's why, I think Google marketing is probably the least stressful because Google marketing is basically just find what people are looking for. Yeah. And then deliver that. And then that's it really. Yeah. So like, that's kind of like, I always think of it as advertising the other way around from normal because everything else is like, look at us, come do this. Where Google someone's literally saying, you know, I want a circular menu system. And if your website is called circularmenusystems.com, you're probably going to be at the top. And then if your opening line is like, hello, we do the best circular menu systems in London, then they're probably <laughs> going to pick you unless you've done something else completely stupid. Yeah, yeah. So I think the Google stuff is for people, if, I mean, for listeners who are just setting out a kind of business and is interested in online marketing, I think just the basics of getting to the top of Google and Google Ads are actually kind of simple. There's even just a book in WH Smith's that's really just called, it's just on the magazine, it's just called How to Set Up an Online Business. And it's all there. And I think talking about a difference in sales of like tens of thousands of pounds a year, I think it's, you know, to not do it is kind of silly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so I will back to just like the improv, the improv scene as a whole. Historically, the US has always been like, ahead of the game in terms of you know the level of improv and just the different just how big that whole scene is there and and how many performers have gone through that have gone through the improv world and you know there's like a whole structure there you could do snl etc etc do you think that um that we're catching up over here in the uk in terms of like the the quality of the improv shows and also in terms of the opportunities that it can lead to for performers um yeah, I mean, I think it goes splits into kind of like pre-COVID world and then after. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. So, I don't know. To, to answer as myself in from February, uh, I'd say yes. And like, it's kind of sad to think about it now. I tried to not think about it too much. But like how, it was crazy, like how busy, not just us, but all improv companies in London were getting last year. It's another reason to go back to the competition, competition thing where it became... I think less of an issue because improv was becoming so big. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Like how many people were booking classes and um, how far ahead, like this isn't just us. It's like loads of companies were booking ahead. And then also the live shows with us. And I think most other places we're just getting packed. Like we just hadn't had, we'd never had it before. Like, so last year selling out like weekend shows all the time um, at full price tickets. And then, um, and like before, <laughs> man, I'm going to cry. No, before 
like it's saying in it's recently as December we were floating around the big theatres like the Soho Theatre and the Leicester Square Theatre because we really needed a bigger theatre to show off some of the groups that are coming up with us so this big one was called The Playground which is produced by Maria Peters and Lauren Shearing which is um, an all-female improv night but it's not marketed as all female female it just happens to be but it's not in any of the press um, but it's just a really good improv night and they get people like JC Lawrence guesting like one of the original who's finds it anyway yeah uh, so that was packed at our theater always sold out once a month so we're like we're talking to them about taking that bigger there's a bunch of other shows that were getting uh bigger so we were we were planning to do like more kind of um regular west endy things and um yeah i think the tv industry's changed now so i, I don't think any casting director sees improv as weird which is what some of them used to like 10 years ago um and now I think it's even seen as like a, an essential thing. If you're doing like an advert or comedy, they'll directly ask for improv experience. So I think that's a big change. So to answer your question, yeah, as long as things recover from COVID, okay, then yeah, it was definitely on that track that people, people were getting picked up for, I mean, we had it happen with our shows, like people were kind of spotted on stage and then they're going to bigger shows or they're performing at the comedy store players. And we had a bunch of people that ended up with sketches on BBC Three. So, yeah, and I think it's kind of like, it, I think London, the London scene like that is almost joyfully messy. So I personally think there were some, I don't know if I should say this, but I think, well, actually, no, I think it's come out a bit this summer. I think there were some problems a little bit with the, with the US improv scene, where it was almost so tightly managed, like the pathway from doing IO all levels or Second City all levels, and then have to move to Chicago. And then maybe um, one person in the theatre will take a liking to you and put you forward for an audition, and then you magically become on Saturday Night Live. So that's fine, but it has got a, had a load of issues with it where you're basically trapping people into a cycle of spending thousands and thousands of pounds on, on levels for potentially years. Um, whereas I think the London scene is almost more joyfully messy in a good way, where you know, people train not just with us, people train lots of different improv companies. They hear about stuff from shows, they get spotted at shows, they do auditions independently. Sometimes we get emails to people being like, we're looking for this, can you spread a casting word? And it's sort of like just um, a kind of lovely chaos of creativity. But yeah, I think as long as things go back, then yes, I think improv, like unfortunately, <laughs> was def definitely on a, a very healthy, fast trajectory to the mainstream. Um, I think it will. I think especially, I think there are, there's various improv-based TV shows in the background that I think are in development. And then there was another, there's one on Netflix over the summer. So a TV industry is, again, showing an interest in it, which I think that will be a, a big thing as well. Yeah, it's um, fucking COVID, eh? Fucking COVID. <laughs> yeah. So are you doing everything, I take it, via Zoom at the moment? Are you doing, like, doing uh, Zoom-based improv uh, classes? Yeah, we're doing a bit of both. So we, we have brought, we've got real life workshops and shows back, but just with like a lot less people. And we've got okay. a load of safety stuff uh, in place, but then also been running Zoom since March as well. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of weird because it um, went smaller than we used to be like this time last year or even as recently as February. Yeah. But we're doing enough to kind of keep ticking on. And then, so I think our kind of, um, our pathway to recovery is okay. And uh, as long as things kind of start getting better, next year you know it's about I'm, I'm not reading the news or anything at the moment because he's just like, probably a good thing 
sometimes reading off you're like oh, i don't know if i could cope with the idea of us not being back properly for another two years or whatever yeah. But, but yeah we're just taking we're just sort of you know following all the guidelines from department of culture media and sports. that must be a bloody headache uh, yeah. <laughs> so many guidelines and i mean change... look i get it you've got to do it but i mean what a ball ache it is and they change all the time as well so like do them all and then and then there's a tweet from matt hancock at 1am you're like what i know that, that was a thing yeah some of them probably don't even make any sense there's no logic behind them yeah, uh, <laughs> none of it makes sense yeah. the scientists are all wrong no i mean obviously scientifically <laughs> Nothing about yeah, this year makes sense. Nothing makes sense. But like no, some of these, okay, look, I'll give you an example. Right? I'm not going to go off on a big COVID rant. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's, yeah, it's a whole other podcast. But you can go, I think like the latest ruling is if you go into a restaurant, you have yeah. to wear the mask to, yeah. while you walk to your table. And then when you yeah. get to your table, you can take it off. Yeah. Really? Like what? So someone's going to catch COVID between the time you walk from the restaurant to the table. <laughs> Then as yeah. soon as you can take off, you can cough and splatter everywhere all over the table. Yeah, that's right. That doesn't make it, sense to me. No, nothing. Like, it doesn't. Nothing makes sense anymore. Yeah, I mean, we so we haven't do that at our venue because they like people come to our shows, and I'm in like full mask, hand sanitizer, wearing masks, taking them to the table. We've got seats, so we've converted our our venue from you know rows to being like cabaret seating. But then once they're there for the show, yeah, they order drink and food from the app. But then obviously when the food arrives and drink arrives, it's masks off. So I don't know. <laughs> so I'm just like... It's yeah, just, just so random. I went I to a meditation really retreat last weekend and yeah. um, you sit and you sit and you, you have your designated seats where you, you're yeah. meditating. While you're meditating, you have to wear the mask. But before the meditation, while they're giving a talk, you can take it off. Oh, okay. So I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong, but they're just going on the guidelines that they've been given. So just yeah. people are just like sitting in an office, like yes anding. Yeah, and uh, uh, when they sit down, they should wear the mask. Yeah, and uh, yeah, but before, before the meditation, they should just take it off. So I actually wrote to, um, I wrote to Oliver Dowden recently. He's the MP and he's in charge of the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. Because I was finding myself getting really frustrated middle of the year, just never knowing what's going to happen. And then I was right. like, right, actually, let's, I'm going to try and help out. So I've, I've written to them and just volunteered and said, do you want me to come in one day a week? I'll that's just very help. Nice you. And what did yeah, they say? We haven't written, written back. I'll oh, see that's just, that's just, I'm going to, but I mean, they're going to get a lot of emails right now. So I'm going to wait a week and I'm going to write back again and be like, do you want me to help write guidelines for amateur drama groups or something? Because um, yeah, it's a lovely idea. It's behind the scenes. So whoever's making the key decisions, that's one thing. But then at the end of the day, it's going to be a bunch of like young civil servants who are having to decipher the thick information, write it for the entire art scene. I think the quicker the arts gets safely back, the, the better. And I think it's pretty, I don't know, I, feel like, I, I, don't know I, don't, I just don't know anything anymore. But I think whatever happens, I think it would be a shame, obviously a shame, if the uh, entire arts and events industry doesn't come back properly. And the amount of people's jobs that have been ruined by this year is awful. So I think, you know, we've got to try and, we've got to work it out, really. You can't just give up. <laughs> yeah it's very true i'm sure there there must be people advising them within the arts industry they would have thought in terms of like protocol who knows with this government i don't know really i mean that was very noticeable at the start there was like at the start of all this it felt like all the theaters were just like looking around for leadership but there wasn't really anything so they just started looking for each other and people were just like being like well when are you coming back when are you coming back and we all find right. each other being like what we so back in april and may we were like 
when, when are you planning to come back? I was like, I don't know. There isn't any really announcement about mm. that. But I mean, people didn't really know what the thing was then. No. But I think it's a little bit clearer now. Yeah. All right. So moving away from, from COVID, going to move two metres away uh, from the COVID okay. chat. And um, <laughs> you moved a few years ago to Brighton. You escaped yeah. from, from London. Did you do that because you just needed to get away from the city? And, and if so, how has that um, had an impact on your well-being? Oh, so it, it wasn't what you thought, really. I wasn't escaping. I really love London and I miss it a lot. We were just starting a, we were starting a family and um, London was way too expensive. And funny enough, back then, uh, I remember what it was about six years ago. Yeah. Brighton was cheaper. And um, also my wife's mum and brother and sister lived here. Okay. So those choices of like could be near um, my parents in Wimbledon, which is now super expensive. Well, we couldn't really afford to buy anything or it could be near we could be near her parents in brighton so yeah i'm afraid it's just a sort of boring <laughs> you're ahead of the curve because now everyone's sort of wanting to move out of london and yeah I've heard that. yeah lockdowns made people want to leave and yeah. um, so there you go but yeah we were it would be near a while but i do i mean I, I haven't really left london at all because i'm there all the time i'm there like three days a week even now this year and then usual times i'm there like five days a week is, it, my... uh, is there a challenge commuting or is it it's only 40 minutes isn't it something about an hour and i just do all my emails on the train like you just have your little office right just everyone's you know you just everyone's got their little train office going or their little train cinema everyone's doing something the other day i was like typing away listening to my meditation music and i thought oh headphones aren't working i need to get some new ones so i turned it up full volume to get enough volume and then i realized someone came like waving at me from the couple of rows away and i hadn't and my headphones weren't plugged in, so I just <laughs> my head. And my laptop had just been blaring out this like meditation music, like really loud. <laughs> so <laughs> at least it gave people a chuckle. But yeah, if it I, wasn't like a self-help uh, audio, like an Anthony Robbins type. That was sort of embarrassing. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that. Okay, and uh, outside of of running Hoopla, then I'm sure oh, yeah. you, you have very limited time because you're also uh, a father. It's a funny word, it father. It sounds very formal. Yes, father. Father. Um, you're a dad. Yes. Um, what uh, historically have you done to relax and unwind, unwind outside of business? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully, it definitely is a sort of all-encompassing thing. Mm. For me, really, I think when I'm on a, a good track and for having a good time and you know, mentally feeling with it, it's all about the exercise, really, much like yourself. Like, it's yeah. always something... If I'm doing like running or cycling or swimming or going to the gym a couple of times over the week, then I'm kind of usually on good form and in good spirits. So that's the main thing. Yeah. And then also I have to say the pub. <laughs> <laughs> after, after an improv workshop or show, I think that's quite therapeutic. I do like to muck around in a pub with a bunch of people. Yeah. It doesn't matter who actually. I just sort of like do an improv thing and I'm just like, I'm going to the pub and then see who's there. Um, your social circle must be massive like you must have so many friendships must have formed over the years of running hoopla yeah it's funny you should say that so yeah yeah it is um so like if i just turn up the miller you will know a lot of people yeah but lockdown i was like no one phones me and i was just like i'm just none of my friends like we never phone each other and be like arranged to go somewhere with improv yeah. just like, you just know if you go to the improv on friday or saturday it used to be like i know there's going to be tons of people there i know so i'll go go there 
yeah uh, watch a show or just hang out and and that was like our thing so it's kind of like our social club yeah and um three months into it my friend liam um who's like oh i really miss seeing everyone i was like yeah like we haven't been no one's been phoning each other so then we're finally getting around to it um improv pre-covid it was sort of chaotically sociable in a in a good way so yeah i i miss <laughs> I definitely miss that. There's like a sequence of funny little pubs around London that uh, end up near improv workshops and suddenly they're like, why are we so busy on a Monday night when yeah. like three or four classes have all finished at bang on half nine and they've all turned up at the same pub. Yeah, well, I remember we used to go to that one when you did uh, the workshops off Brick Lane in the Cloth Factory. Yes. Do you remember we that used to go awesome. to a pub opposite? Yeah, that was really cool. The Pride of Spitalfields. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. Yeah, that was so good, that one. It's like it hadn't changed in decades and in a good way. Yeah. So, and also, you, so you're saying on uh, your story about the meditation being played out loud of the trains, do you, do you meditate often? Uh, yeah, so I do. Um, what I found helpful is the Alexander technique. So, um, oh, yeah. Uh, so I go to someone about uh, once a month or so to actually do the Alexander technique with them. What, what do you use it for? Because you can do it for different things, can't you? It can be used for different things, like whether it's posture or whether it's, yeah. for, you can even do it for swimming. There's all sorts. Yeah. So I went there for posture. I have to say okay. it didn't, didn't do anything for that. I've still got awful posture. Right. Uh, then I accidentally found it was just really helpful for practicing. Especially like, it's a really nice way to just, uh, I just use it to kind of stop for a bit. So I don't bring stress from one event into another event. So if I've been running around all day doing the admin for Hitler, um, but then I've got a teacher workshop. So I just make sure you get there a quarter of an hour early. I just put my, lie down, put my head on a book, semi-supine position. So you're lying on your back with your yeah. kind of knees. Don't you fall asleep? When I used to do it, I always used to fall asleep. Yeah, you can do. Because it, it's and sort of relaxing. what you need really. So if you're tired, it's, it's just, you just, your body's like, oh, I'm tired, I'm going to sleep. So right. yeah. Anything. I'm a big fan of like the quick uh, nap, Steve. So I love a power nap. How long do your yeah. power naps consist of? What duration of time? Uh, I don't know, 15 minutes maybe. Yeah, 20 minutes is supposed to be the cutoff. After 20 oh, minutes, you get oh, very, yeah. it's you get a bit fucked. You get drowsy. Yeah, I have to, you know, put an alarm on 15 minutes before a workshop or before a show, and you just sort of wake up, and then you're kind of there um, for that event rather than you know thinking about all this other stuff. Yeah. So I just kind of use it to like let go of things a little bit and then come back to them later. Every Monday morning, especially. So when I start the week, I get up and just do that. Kind of do it for about two hours, actually. I just sort of lie on my back for like two hours before work starts and just sort of, you know, you're not even planning. You're just like, it's weird. You just wake up after, not wake up, but you you get up after a couple of hours of it. And then you just sort of know what you need to do that week. It's like you just Mm. give yourself that chance to... um, not just always be working, but also like work out what you should be working on and what you can kind of like not worry about. So, yeah. Very good. Very measured. Very measured. <laughs> so, yeah, it sounds like you're quite, you're, it sounds like you're in a very, very zen place overall. Everyone's got you on a good day, but you seem to be very, would you say you're overall feeling very sort of balanced? What, today or life in general? <laughs> in general. We'll in go general. today. Yeah. So, I mean, a major thing that I missed out, so I wasn't, because of the COVID thing, potentially cocking up our whole business and industry yeah wasn't very balanced about that yeah of course i got help with it so i did hypnotherapy because march march and april i was just like right we need to make sure we don't fold yeah um, and we don't fuck up so i was like we need to start doing online and make that work so that was cool in a way that was good because we had something to focus on and then may and june i was like great um let's keep doing that and let's start planning to reopen because i think i'm sure things will be back in autumn 
And then August and September, you're like, fuck, <laughs> things aren't back to normal. And they're not going to be out of normal for a long time. And then I had to like fully kind of accept that. So I was getting really angry. I was sort of projecting the anger onto Dominic Cummings, for instance, like a lot of people and getting quite, you know, just having like, and then feeling really depressed about it all and and, like helpless. And also I was feeling like a massive failure because I was like all my friends from school or uni who weren't in the arts, completely financially unaffected by all this. And I was like, oh, this is just proving to them that I'm, fucking stupid and I chose like a rational um foolish life path yeah and I was giving to my dad that and I was getting all these like big status anxiety things which weren't really founded in anything because people didn't really think like about me at all yeah anyway so I went to a hypnotherapist and I really recommend it it's kind of like therapy for lazy people because I was like uh, she's like what do you want from this I said I just want to do the best we can to recover but I want to stop feeling shit about this year and I want to feel successful rather than an app rather than a failure because I, I need to stop blaming myself for COVID because I thought I was kind of like I'm so used to accepting responsibility with Hitler that I was blaming myself for like not seeing this pandemic happen and not reacting to it in January rather than waiting till March um anyway so then she hypnotizes you did about four sessions and then since then this is about a month ago I've been feeling really good and I've just been like cool you know I don't have any control over that I don't have any control over government decisions unless they finally let me in and volunteer there but there's loads of stuff I I can control like what we do and I can um, you know do the best we can so um, I've been feeling more positive about that and not beating myself about it all uh, which I was in in um, in the summer great well I'm glad yeah I'm glad that's worked I've I've never done hypnotherapy actually I did I did do it I lie I did it um, my mum made me do it before my GCSEs because I just oh. couldn't focus. The, the phrase he, the uh, hypnotherapist gave me was narrow down, narrow down. Yeah. And, and when I was supposed to say that over and over again, yeah. I was supposed to focus, but I've got two Bs, four Cs, three Ds and two Es in my GCSE. So it didn't really work. Unless he got you to narrow down accidentally onto just the two oh, Just the two Bs, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's what he would argue. We want our money yeah. back, but he's got two Bs. Wouldn't have got yeah. those Bs if he hadn't narrowed down. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly maybe i'll try it again uh okay yeah. and uh, i w- want to ask you are there any books that you have read that stand out that have mm. had a uh, impact on you or have inspired you yeah a lot really i think it depends you know where you're at so I, got, I mean it depends um so there's certain books i'll go back to i'll just talk about them because i could go on pages about books yeah. there's one to get me motivated again in terms of moving forwards which is The Magic of Thinking Big by okay. Dr. Hawkes. I don't know if you know that one. No. Um, and I read that because I read Paul Merton's autobiography and he mentioned it in the book. He was going through a, a tough time and he was like, all I did was just spent a summer reading this book, The Magic of Thinking Big. Okay. And um, it's very much like, you know, it gives you confidence. It's like you can do this. It kind of removes excuses that you have in yourself sometimes. So that's good. I always feel quite healthy when I do that. Usually when it's my birthday, I, I will head off and read that for a couple of days. And that gets me in good spirits. Um, Every year you go off and read it. Yeah, pretty much. It's a nice ritual. Yeah, it's a good ritual. Like one year I went off on holiday by myself to the Lake District for three days with just that book. And I went walking all day in the Lake District, read that book. But then after two days, I was like, I really miss people. What am I doing here by myself? <laughs> I, thought, I thought I wanted to be like a hermit. And then I realised, actually, I just needed a little break. And after two days, I just headed off back home early and was like, oh, I missed stuff. Um, what, what, what do you find that you think about when you're walking? 
do you just let your mind go into free fall or do you tend to have specific things on the agenda that you want to mull over? Yeah, it's a good question. So I get it with running and swimming as well. I don't really tell, I don't really try and control the mind. I just sort of think, um, I think walking is very healthy. Yeah. I think it, it's weird. It's just, it's almost like you, your subconscious is busy solving some problem. And then you're walking, you're admiring the scenery, you're always feeling good, I always feel good on a walk. And then out of nowhere, it'll just deliver this sort of bombshell, amazing idea. And yeah. you're like, oh yeah. And I think also, there's something about a view, right? If you're going through problems or creative challenges, or you're worried about a perceived competition, if you sort of stood on top of a mountain, it just, everything, it looks so, you're just like, oh, that doesn't matter. Like, that's fine. I'll work it out. So I think it's kind of, it you know, gives that uh, perspective. Um, so there's that one. And then the other one, the classic, which I should read, I haven't read it for ages, <laughs> uh, which is how to win friends and influence people. As someone who, I definitely had to learn social skills from scratch. I wasn't very, I didn't really like, I didn't really born with them. Uh, so, <laughs> so there's that one. If you just want to like learn good social skills from scratch, okay. you get them all the time. Yeah. And then I suppose the other top one would be um, Impro by Keith Johnston. Oh, yeah. Yeah. one of the main yeah. improv books because i think that's good for not just improv but like creativity in general yeah so um yeah that's those three probably okay. my kids all right are. thank you and do you are you a podcast listener are you a podcast fan i'm afraid i'm not i don't know why there's I, enough content there's too much content out there content. i couldn't really hear very well when i was a kid so i didn't talk i didn't learn to talk till i was five oh <laughs> so, really yeah i think um, because of that, if like lecture, like if there's you know, like lectures at university, I'm not very good at. I just they, I just sort of drift away. So I'm more like visual and, and writing person. Yeah, I'm the same. Same yeah. with podcasts. Same. So, yeah, I don't. I can't. I don't do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, none taken. <laughs> I blame my ears. <laughs> I'm going to ask you. Uh, taking up a lot of your time, so I'm going to ask you a final question that I ask all okay. guests on the podcast. What does the idea of balance mean to you, or not? Oh, okay. I think that's a really good question, mate. Funny enough, because I knew the theme of the podcast, so I knew that was coming. So it's really interesting because this isn't me pitching a course, by the way, because it's already underway and there's not another one on sale. But I happen to be teaching an online improv course about Carl Jung, the psychologist, psychiatrist, um, and mixing that in with improv. And that talks a lot about different kind of energies we have within us. Mm. So for me, balance now, I kind of accept that I'm lots of different people. So... I'm no longer, I think, I'm no longer looking for like this sort of point where there's like this one me. And I used to kind of think, mistakenly think like, you know, am I someone who's interested in science or am I interested in drama? Because at school you're forced to be like, no, you have to do three A-levels and they should all be around science or they should all be around arts. But I was like, but I like drama. <laughs> and they're like, no, it doesn't make any sense. And you go to uni, there's this other split. And then years later, I was like, well, it doesn't make any sense. Like, you Everyone can be interested in everything. So I have a drama side to me and I have a science side to me. I like hanging out with my two-year-old. Um, I also like hanging out with a load of blokes in a pub downing tequila. That's quite fun as well. And um, I like running. I also like eating kebabs. And, um, <laughs> and um, I like watching the film Frozen. Um, I also like uh, Terminator 2. So <laughs> the point being that I know in terms of balance, I kind of think in a more kind of like, in a way, the, the way the ancient Greeks used to think which is like you're made up of loads of different kind of, not gods as such, well, they, gods, but not in a kind of the way we think of gods, but there's these different energies and your different energies at different times, depending on the situation. If you spend more time in, you spend too long in one energy, 
then the other one's going to get pissed off and rise up in an unhealthy way. So you have to exercise all these different things. So for me, that's balance. It's not trying to balance doesn't mean like there's one me that's going to be like this. It's like just exercising all these things in life and not mistakenly thinking that we're only one thing. Yeah. That's such a great answer. Yeah. So we're all these things, all these things always. And then, and also being aware that when you, as you get older, there might be another thing that pops up and you'd be like, why do I want to grow courgettes? (laughs) Like, I used to be into Nirvana. Why do I want to grow a courgette plant? It's just like, no, fuck, grow the courgette plant. That's your new grunge. Just grow the fucker. And like, learn some serious shit about yourself by nurturing some vegetables. So that's... <laughs> if you feel uncomfortable with it, go and do some... Go and smoke a spliff afterwards and you'll, you'll balance out. <laughs> You've got some unique and original approaches to, to life and... Uh, I've always uh, viewed you as a kind of visionary, you know, like in, in <laughs> wow. you, 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 you are like with, you know, we, considering what you've done with like Hoopla, you, um, you're a trailblazer really. And it's amazing to see what you've done considering like back in the day, we were just like fucking around on stage and in, uh, was it the Bedford back then? Or was it? Yeah. Yeah. Bedford. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's just a small group. And now, you know, I think we didn't touch upon it, but you're doing not only you're doing shows, not only have you got your venue, you're doing all the corporate side of things as well. Yeah. Obviously, I know COVID has had a huge dent on it, but I'm sure when things get back to normal, it won't take long for, for things to get back to the way they were. I think, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's hugely impressive. Oh, thanks, mate. I appreciate that. And um, funny enough, like, yeah, I appreciate what you said. And I think, like you said, back then it was fucking around on stage. In a way, that's, it's like to not lose that is the, the key to it. Yeah, it's just around on lots of stages all over the place. That's what's yeah, happening. Yeah. But whenever we go, and this becomes like the job uh, as the leader in a way, is to be the sort of um, the values depository. <laughs> yeah. Of like, so you can go anywhere where Hoopla's happening and be like, no, that's not Hoopla. That's way too serious. What you're talking about? Right. Why are you getting this thing? Or to be like, yes, perfect. That's exactly what Hoopla is, and that becomes like in terms of like a long-term growth thing for a company. I think that's really important to be like have people that totally get the whole point of it and the values because then that's when you can grow without losing the kind of inner battery or or hearts of what made it all along um so yeah i'd happily um (laughs) happily uh, have on my gravestone hoopler um steve hoopler um fucking about on the stage (laughs) that would be that'd be great (laughs) i'll I'll make sure to pass that on if uh if you go before me Oh yeah. Okay. Well, um, well, basically the way that I see it, I've just had a, I've just sort of had a flash of the future. We build up this, the circles business and, uh, yeah. it goes, <laughs> I mean, it's massive, you know, it's completely out of control, but we, we launch it in the U S we launch it in the far East everywhere. And, uh, we've agreed to go 50, 50 on it, yeah. but greed gets the better of me. And oh, I, no. I want to own the whole company. So yeah. I do what anyone would do in that situation. And I hire a hitman and right. um, we, we take you out the game. But I always honor this conversation and I will have that put on your, on your grave. Because also I feel yeah. guilty because I pulled you out of Hoopla to focus on the circles business. And you always yeah. mulled it over. I, I kind of did you a favor in a way because you were never really yourself after that. So that's why I put, yeah. you know, fucking about on stage on your grave. I kind of, that was my giving back to you and also get, been guilty for oh well, i appreciate that i'm glad you did i'm glad you never forgot that i'm slightly alarmed that you didn't go for the whole management buyout situation or you know, 
or you know just or just a sort of delayed purchase of 50 percent shares or you know any of that but it's not as but, exciting man at least you were committed to that decision steve yeah so you saw that through how, how does the hitman kill me yeah i was going to say a dose of covid but it's not really appropriate is it because <laughs> well you could get with that these days so that'd be quite a good way to kill someone yeah yeah like like the yeah poison you with covid maybe you're poison with covid but you've already had oh. covid so you're immune so actually uh, that's poor thinking by me yeah so actually yeah, i try be- then and you don't <laughs> you don't die you come back and then you do the management buyout and then i'm out of the oh, game okay. yeah well okay well, that sounds <laughs> it's like <laughs> this all takes place about 50 years from now did you say uh i think it'd have to be a bit less than that because we'll be quite elderly yeah. by then won't we <laughs> yeah. probably won't be alive no. <laughs> I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe. Who knows? If you know, we have yeah, a good innings. All right. Where can people find out about what you're up to and and Hoopla in general? So the main places are website hooplaimpro.com. Hooplaimpro.com. And we'll say on all the social medias, Hoopla Impro, all one word. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Steve looked at me as if I was meant to say more. Then, but I'm afraid. I didn't have anything. Uh, no, 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 no. It's, that's taglines. Okay. Well, look, Steve, it's absolute pleasure chatting with you. You delivered lots of nuggets there. Yes. Chicken nuggets. And Steve, it's been a pleasure to be on. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you uh, for talking to me. Perfect. And there we have it. Steve Rowe in the building via Zoom. A magnifique conversation. We oui? So... In the next episode, uh, I'm very excited about this one. We have got none other than Hayden Prowse from The Revolution will be televised. BAFTA winning, no less, amongst many other shows. Uh, We'll be on the episode, on the podcast, for your audio pleasure. So look out for that one. And as always, I forgot to say this at the beginning. If you like this episode, if you like Balancing Acts in Generals, please do rate and review us in Apple and subscribe. Tell your friends. You know, just be a good podcast listening citizen. That's all I ask. Nothing more. And then when, you know, if we meet, we haven't met before, and and we meet and we strike up conversation, you can look at me, you know, in the eyes, knowing that you've, you've done the right thing. And I'll sense it. I will sense it either way. I'm just, you know, I'm good at that. I have a have a sixth sense of people that don't leave reviews uh, of the podcast on, on Apple. So I'll, I'll just leave that out there for you. All right. Okay, uh, people, until next time, see you later. Balancing Acts is made in association with the Comedy Crowd who support independent comedy creators. They showcase the best new videos on ComedyCrowdTV.com and across media platforms. They support independent comedy creators and showcase the best new videos, including adult animation, sketch shows, web series, viral hits, and lots more. So if you're a creator, then do check them out. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 